0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. New voting rules for a pandemic election and what you need to know about travel insurance if you'll be heading south. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Nearly 95,000 Canadian health care workers have been infected with COVID-19 as of June. That's 7% of the total number of cases in the country. A new report from the Canadian Institute for Health Information also finds that 43 of those infected frontline workers died from the virus. The numbers show that personal support workers are three times more likely to be infected when compared with physicians and almost two times more likely likely to get sick than nurses. Pascal Soriot, the chief executive of COVID-19 vaccine maker AstraZeneca, was Britain's highest-paid company boss in 2020, a year when average FTSE 100 leaders saw their pay fall by almost 20%. Soriot, whose handling of the pandemic response has drawn criticism, despite the company producing its vaccine at cost price, took home 15.45 million pounds. That's more than 21 million U.S., according to a report from the High Pay Center. (music) Unlike many Zoomers with children... Millionaire Daniel Craig plans to give away his fortune before he dies. The 53-year-old James Bond star, who has a child and stepchild with his current wife and an adult daughter with his ex-wife, believes that leaving children a substantial inheritance is a distasteful practice, remarking that if you die rich, you have failed. The No Time to Die actor will make $100 million for his role in future Knives Out films. The man known as the godfather of the blockbuster numbers puzzle Sudoku has died at 69 from bile duct cancer. Makikaji first fell in love with a game called Number Place in 1984. He renamed it Sudoku after the Japanese characters for number, and single. Players place the numbers one to nine in rows, columns, and blocks without repeating them. Kaji's company made Sudoku and other similar puzzles globally popular, with Sudoku championships drawing some 200 million people in 100 countries over the years. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. More mail-in ballots, delayed results, and different polling places. These are just some of the changes to expect during this pandemic election. I got the details from Elections Canada's Dougal Maudsley. Let's start with uh, the obvious, and that is mail-in ballots. Last election, there were only about 55,000. And how many are you expecting this time around since it will happen probably at the height of the fourth wave.
2: Yeah. So it depends on how you define this. There actually were were more than 400,000 special ballots. The expectation is that it could be between two and three million and that uh, Elections Canada capacity is is actually higher than that. So we're ready for more if that's necessary.
1: How are you going to process those ballots, those mail-in ballots, and how long will it take?
2: The ballots will be counted by the returning officers at each of the offices like they normally will. And it's true that there will, it will take longer. So it may be that in some ridings, the result is not available on election night. It could be a number of days afterwards. There is a process for the ongoing count to be available on the Elections Canada website. So people can keep track of what's happening in each riding by doing that.
1: Voters have to apply for a mail-in ballot. Can you describe that process?
2: Yeah, sure. So right now, you can go on to the Elections Canada website. There's a a big envelope with an X on it. You can click on that. That will begin the um, application process. Basically, you kind of go through a very similar process that you would if you were going into a polling station. You have to upload your proof of identification and your proof of address, just like you would And you get a tracking number, and that tracking number lets you check the status of your application. It allows you to see whether your application's been okayed when it's mailed to you. And then when you mail your application back, you can see when it's been received by Elections Canada. Now, one of the things that's really important is that you've got to apply to vote by mail by 6 p.m., six days before the election. So that's 6 p.m. on the 14th of September.
1: I'm imagining that a lot of the people who want these ballots are in vulnerable populations, like older people who may or may not be very computer savvy about uploading. What about them?
2: Yeah, so you can do this process online. You can also go into any of the Elections Canada offices, which is something that you've been able to do over the um, many years. So you can go in there, and if you want, you can have someone help you actually go through the application process, or you can just simply pick it up and take it home with you. Then you can mail it back. There's a prepaid envelope um, that allows you to mail it back that way. Or if you want, you can actually take the actual mail-in ballot and you can walk it into any of the polling stations that are in your riding.
1: They have to be received by the end of election night, correct? Correct.
2: Yes, there's a little bit of a twist there. Yes, if you're voting in your riding by mail-in ballot, then they go back to your riding and you have to have them in before election night's out. But if you're away from your riding because you're traveling or some other reason and you're voting by mail-in ballot, those go back to Ottawa and to headquarters. And in that case, they have to be at headquarters by 6 p.m. On election night.
1: The election is on a Monday, and I know, for instance, often it's in schools, and schools may not want an election with the general public happening in the midst of COVID.
2: Yeah, that's very true. And at this stage of the game, the returning officers are out there looking for 18,000 polling places. Those are the numbers required. And it may turn out that the places that you're used to going, may not be the places where those polling places will be this year. If those schools get used, it'll be in agreement with the board, the principals, the administrators. And when we use schools, we often do things like have a separate entrance so that the voters or electors are are not intermingling with students. And if it turns out that there's no place to wait inside, well then voters will need to, to wait outside.
1: How many people do you hire to work the election and are you convinced that you'll be able to find those people?
2: Yes, so it's about 200,000. It's true that it could be more of a challenge this time around, obviously, because of the pandemic. And uh, at this stage of the game, you know, recruitment is already underway um, and underway at top speed. A lot of the people who actually do volunteer to take part are older people. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And, you know, the one advantage of that is that most or many older people have had the opportunity to be vaccinated twice or be fully vaccinated. So there is that advantage. But you're right, Libby, there's no doubt that uh, in a pandemic situation, recruiting is going to be more of a challenge.
1: Is there a requirement that the people working in the polling places be vaccinated?
3: No,
2: there isn't. The situation is kind of the same situation as you would have kind of in any environment you go into these days in Ontario. You go into a store, you're not going to know for sure whether everybody around you is vaccinated or not vaccinated. But there will be fairly stringent, very stringent safety protocols in place. And the Elections Canada workers will all be wearing face masks and shields. There's only going to be one per table as opposed to two. There'll be plexiglass between them and the electors. There's going to be sanitizing stations. Physical distancing will be in place. And again, the, these protocols have been discussed with the public health authorities around the, the country. And their, their understanding and belief is that we can deliver a safe election um, by following these kinds of protocols.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Dougal Maudsley. Okay, thank you. That was Dougald Maudsley of Elections Canada. If you're interested in working the polls, the job pays between $17 and $23 an hour plus overtime. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review coming up. Snowbirds plan to return to warmer climates in droves this winter.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: It may be high summer, but this is usually the time when snowbirds start sorting out their insurance for the winter trip. Last year, most of the one million Canadians who usually go south Stayed home. But surveys show that this year the vast majority intend to spend winter in warmer climates. I talked with travel insurance expert Martin Firestone of Travel Secure about what you need to
3: know. Typically, August is what I would call early bird, uh, snowbird season. So basically, many of the insurers have discounts they give if people book in early August for travel later in the year. So that attracts a certain element that takes advantage of it. That is happening again this year. Of course, last year, it didn't exist. I must say that last week's decision by our government to uh, A, issue a vaccine passport, and B, make it uh, imperative that everybody be fully vaccinated to get on an airplane, train, or cruise ship is definitely taking away somewhat of the hesitancy and saying to people, you know what, I think we're ready to go and I'm feeling much better about it.
1: What are some of the uncertainties that people are facing?
3: Right now, of course, this whole idea of mixed vaccines and also the AstraZeneca drug that is the shield version made in India is making people wonder whether travel to some countries is not going to be allowed, regardless of the fact that you have a vaccine certificate, proof of vaccination. So there's lots of questions and nobody can travel anywhere unless they have these answered ahead of time. Otherwise, a very rude awakening, getting to that country and finding out you can't get in.
1: You were saying there's also an issue with putting a deposit down on a place to rent.
3: That's correct. And that hasn't changed right now. Trip cancellation or interruption insurance cancellation prior to the date you're supposed to go interruption. You're already there right now. It is still considering COVID as what they call a known cause. Therefore, it's not going to be a reason that you are going to be able to make a claim and get paid for it. So anyone putting down deposits and then following it up with the remainder of the payments is got to understand they can buy trip cancellation, as they always did, and it will cover you not well, your traveling companion not well, family member not well. But it cannot be used to say they've just closed the borders again. They've just said we can't fly into this country that is not going to be an acceptable reason for a claim. So we're very careful to point that out to people at this point. Buy it, but still, it can't be used if it's a COVID-related claim.
1: Would it normally have covered your rent?
3: Prior to March 2020, if one purchased uh, uh, or rented a uh, condo, let's say they had a $5,000 a month and they needed to take it a minimum of six months, that was 30000 out of their pocket. Had they bought trip cancellation insurance at that point, The minute the government did an advisory, that was the triggering clause that allowed them to get their money back because they could not travel. But after that date, now it now is an exclusion. And people who bought that insurance cannot use that as a reason to claim. And that's part of the problem now. People are putting down deposits and they worry terribly about a fourth, fifth, sixth wave or total shutdown again.
1: Explain to me how this becomes an exclusion.
3: It becomes an exclusion because it is what they call now a known cause, meaning you bought this trip cancellation policy today knowing that there is COVID out there. It is a pandemic. Countries can be shut down. And the bottom line is the insurer, from their perspective, is the risk is just too high. So for the moment, they are going to exclude anything COVID-related as a reason to cancel. Every other reason is still on the table, both for cancellation or interruption. You're there and you have to come home because the borders may be closing, no longer will that be allowed as a reason for you to get covered at this point. Until potentially the Level 3 travel advisory gets lifted that's currently in place, maybe then the insurers will go back to covering trip cancellation and the pandemic or COVID will be okay to be covered.
1: What about coverage for COVID-related illness? A lot of people go to Florida. It's, you know, booming there.
3: The good news there is COVID is now a a covered condition if you got it while you were traveling this year the good news is the insurers are saying if you are fully vaccinated you do not need to buy the rider you are covered under the base contract for the total amount of what that insurer is covering 1 million 2 million 10 million dollars so that's great news identification of you having both vaccinations does not have to come until claim time fact, if you have a claim, then you'll say I was double vaccinated. I still got COVID. You are all covered for those claims. So that's relatively good news.
1: Last year, I remember that even though it's your business, you were advising your clients not to travel. What are you telling them this year?
3: I'm singing a new tune. I'm basically suggesting that my fears of last year were that the hospitals would be filled to capacity and they would turn away Canadians for the normal things that go wrong when you buy travel insurance, such as heart attack, stroke, slip and fall, broken hip. Why I feel different this year and I'm advising that I believe they can travel comfortably is because the majority of the Canadians for sure going will be fully vaccinated. And if we believe everything we hear, which we have to at this point, even if you could contract COVID, it will be a mild flu-like case that won't end you up in an ICU room on a ventilator. So I believe that that problem that I had last year is basically not going to be there this year. At this point, I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but at this point, there's a comfort level to travel and not be concerned about overcapacity at the hospital.
1: And people aren't hesitating because of the possibility that they could lose their rental money?
3: That's still a problem. Nobody can get around that now. So the people that own vacation... Homes, condos, or houses, of course, they don't have to worry about trip cancellation because they own the place. Yes, you make a good point. The ones who still have to put down significant amounts of money, not only as a deposit, but the full payment, are very concerned. What if there should be another bout, another round? And they are, some of them, absolutely saying, I'm not getting into a rental agreement. Unless the person who's leasing it to them will say that if there is an issue where you can't come down because you can't fly, We will carry this over till the next year or something like that. They can live with that, but they will not live with walking away from $30,000 potential loss here.
1: Okay, Martin Firestone, thank you so much.
3: Thank you for having me. Take care.
1: That was travel insurance expert Martin Firestone. brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date on all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer.